Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. Sometimes we encounter rules that often feel like rules for the sake of rules. Yet, when we look closer, it is not difficult to see that they are designed to help us better care for one another as a part of community. That's exactly what today's rules found in Matthew 5 are about. They invite us to live into the gifts of forgiveness and grace as we care for one another and remember that God calls us to live in community. In this week's message of the week, we hear from Pastor Bryce Blank, who shares from the book of Matthew, a message titled, The Gift of Outrageous Grace. Here is the First Church Message of the Week. Will you please pray with me? Wonderful, loving God, you know what we need to hear today. You know what's on our hearts and on our minds. And so we ask that we would be open to you, to what you have to say to us and to where you are leading us in our lives. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm a huge fan of the reality TV show, Survivor. And I know some of you are thinking reality TV, really? But (laughs) it's really good. Um, So if you've never watched Survivor, you've never heard of it, it is a show that features 18 to 20 castaways who are thrown on an island together and they go through challenges to compete for the end goal of winning a million dollars which is a lot of money, so uh, a lot of motivation there. And throughout the game, throughout the contest, they progressively have to vote off members of their group off the island. And so I'm a big fan of Survivor because of the way that this game is multifaceted, the way that the game works. So for one hand, on one hand, Survivor's contestants have to simply survive. They are thrown on an island with nothing but the clothes on their back. They have to make fire. They have to build a shelter. They have to find food, usually in the form of fish or coconuts. They have to cook it for themselves. They have to bear and uh, weather the harsh elements with nothing besides the shelter that they have made. And so it's very tough. And they have to do this for up to 39 days. And so they have to survive. That's one element of Survivor. The second element is that they have to compete with each other in contests, in challenges for either a reward, such as like a food, like a hamburger or a steak, which they haven't had otherwise for a long time, or for immunity for one day, which means they don't get to be voted off the island for at least one day. And so they're competing in these challenges that are both mentally tough, but also very, very physically challenging, pushing them to their brink of exhaustion. And at times, contestants have passed out from the exertion they put themselves through. So they're not easy challenges. But the part that I like about Survivor the best, the part that I think really stirs up the pot and makes it an interesting uh, show to watch, is that there's the social aspect of the game. Because not only are these people on here trying to survive and competing against each other in challenges, but they also have to learn to live together on this island. There's nowhere else to go. 
they have cameras on them 24 seven, which I know if you're an introvert is like your worst nightmare. They, but but there's no place for them to escape. They can go to the bathroom, sure, but that's it. They, there's, there's nowhere to go and recharge and get away from the other contestants. And so all these elements put together really create a, a pressure cooker that's under a microscope for us to see. And when they're going through the voting process, they're going to have to make enemies. They're going to have to make allies. And so how do they navigate these relationships on the island under these intense circumstances? That's what is really intriguing. Now, you think you might know someone's personality. You think you might know their character and how they're going to respond. You probably do. But what happens when you've gone a couple days without food or barely any and you've been hungry for so long? What happens when you never get any downtime, no time to recharge away from other people? What happens if you have those cameras in your face all the time and you've pushed your boundaries, your physical boundaries, your mental boundaries, and your social boundaries? What happens in those circumstances when there's nowhere to hide, nowhere to go? Well, the results are fascinating, and, and they teach us and they show us the true side of people at times. Now, we may not be competing for a million dollars. We're not on Survivor, right? We're not trying to vote each other off the island. We have to live in a world with a lot of different people, though. We have to live in a world with people who make choices that we don't agree with. And in a way, we have a bigger challenge than those who are on the competition survivor because we can't just vote off people we disagree with and who we don't get along with. As much as we might want to, we can't vote them off the island. My brother, I'm, I'm saying. <laughs> and in the United States, according to the Census Bureau, we have over 330 million people just in the United States which means that there's that many different perspectives and opinions and backgrounds. There's that many potentials for conflict. And I'm sure it won't take you long to think of an example of someone or something that really makes you angry or upset. Maybe someone you don't agree with or you simply cannot understand. Think about that person, that instance. Now think about how you may have judged the person in that circumstance. Because at our best, we can agree to see others as children of God. But at our worst, we sometimes question whether someone is truly human. Again, my brother is an example. <laughs> and historically, we have pushed the boundaries of this. Historically, we have seen the tactic of othering used with people we don't agree with. We dehumanize them. We make them either outside of our group or make them feel like an imposter to our community. And in doing so, that makes it easier for us to look down on them. It makes it easier for us to see that whatever pain or hurt or struggle they're going through is somehow justified. And we've seen this done in multiple areas of our life. We've seen it done in politics between uh, candidates. We've seen it done between competitors of one sport or competition. We've seen it done in organizations or denominations. 
We've seen it done to those who we don't like or we don't talk to or who don't look like us or don't dress like us or aren't from the same culture as us or speak the same language as us. This process of othering happens all the time. And we may have even done it to our own family and our own friends, the own members of our, commu- of our community. We've seen it done and we probably have done it. We have othered people. And so, as humans, we have the potential for immense goodness, but we also sometimes default to extreme judgment. It doesn't take long for us to create gaps between those we disagree with, those who have a different perspective than ours. And in creating that gap, we have made others of people around us. And so when we look at the world around us, it may feel like it's impossible to get along. It may feel like we have too many differences and that those vast differences are not easy to let go of. And despite our best efforts, we may judge people from time to time. We often do. And in light of that truth, if we're willing to admit it to ourselves, It feels impossible to live in community with each other. And so when we look at the word today, when we look at our text, we look for God, for advice, for insight, and for direction on what it means to live together in community with one another. Our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 37. And in in the text that leads up to our scripture today, we see that Jesus is fulfilling the law. He's completing all that was said the Savior of the world would do, all that was prophesied. But he's also adding to it. He's adding to the law, if not making it stricter, the law that was given to the Israelites by Moses. And our passage today specifically deals with four areas of distinction. The the passage after our scripture continues on with other areas which you can read later if you would like to, but our passage focuses on four different areas. And the first area that Jesus is addressing is the topic of murder. And here's what he has to say. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is a word for contemptment, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So here Jesus is pointing out the way that people have come to hide behind the laws or the commandments. They have taken the rules at face value and they've missed the point behind them. 
An example we can use to think about this is, it's kind of like using a blinker when we're driving, which is a personal pet peeve of mine. Can we get pulled over for using a blinker? Yes, we can. But the reason that we get pulled over is not because we fail to use our blinker, but rather because by not doing so, we have created a hazardous driving environment around us. We have put others' lives at stake. And so that's the same kind of point that Jesus is making, that Jesus is is adding on and clarifying. He knows that the people he's talking to know the commandment not to murder, and they probably know it very well. But he's saying that maybe they missed the point, that if anyone, that really, this isn't a rule just for the sake of rules. If anyone is even mad at someone else, they are guilty of murder. If they carelessly yell at someone else in anger, putting them down, in any way, they are just as guilty as someone who has committed the act. And so the simple truth behind this is that words are harmful. They can do damage that may seem insignificant, but they hurt just as much. And so it's not only acts that kill, but it is words too. So Jesus is pointing out this, and he also adds on some advice. That if we don't get along with someone for one reason or another, if we have wronged somebody or somebody has done wrong to us, we have to be the first to make a move. We can't just let that fester and grow. We have to admit that there is a problem. We have to set aside our pride and we have to then make amends. And so Survivor is a good example of this. In Survivor, it is often the reality that contestants are forced to vote someone out. And by doing so, they either break someone's trust or they hurt a friendship or they hurt somebody by what they have done. And so they can't just wait to see how the person will react. They can't just let that go until they decide that they're willing to face the situation. Because if they do, if they let that negative feelings grow and fester in an environment like Survivor, that probably means they're the next person getting voted off and there goes their chance at a million dollars. And so they have to act on it very quickly. Now we, as mentioned, are not under that pressure cooker. We're not on the island with the concessions, but we still have to own up to where we too may have caused harm. We have to own up to where we have hurt somebody And if possible, we have to make amends. So next in our text, Jesus is instructing us about adultery, divorce, and empty promises. And again, he is furthering the law given by Moses that those listening would have known very well. And he says, You have heard it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you've heard that it was said to the people long ago, 
Do not break your oath, but fulfill to the, law, to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need is to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. That's a pretty tough passage of scripture. What do we do with that, right? Again, Jesus is pointing out that these rules aren't just for the sake of having rules, but that we need to remember the point behind them. Jesus cues us in that, that while we might think of adultery as a physical act, our minds can be overcome and can be corrupted just as easily, just as fast by lust. And that adultery has consequences, just as divorce and saying empty promises do. But are the acts of adultery, the process of divorce, and the feeling of making empty promises painful? Absolutely they are. They are all hard and painful things. But they also have larger consequences. They have impacts beyond the initial law that is broken. And these consequences and impacts on people and our community are what Jesus wants those listening and for us to consider. And that is also where we need grace. Jesus is calling us to both hold each other to higher standards of faithfulness, but also to offer grace knowing that we will come up short. We have all fallen short of God's glory. We have all made mistakes and we have all missed the point. And in this way, we all need grace and we need to extend grace. It's easy for us to judge others and to think differently of them when we see them fall short. But have we not also fallen short? Our fall might look different than theirs, but we all have come up short on our own. And so we need God's grace, his outrageous grace, to move forward and live in community with one another. And with God's outrageous grace, we can live in community with one another. We know that God loves us. We know that we have been called to turn away from our sins and our shortcomings. And as we heard from Jesus, we are called to reconciliation with those we have hurt or who have hurt us. Ultimately, we are called to love one another. Now, the teacher, minister, and theologian Bruce Reyes Chow commented on loving in a diverse community that is prone to pain. He says about God's love that this love does not mean acceptance or approval of acts or thoughts that dehumanize, but it is a love that is grounded in grace that goes far beyond anything that my heart or head could ever imagine. I like his admittance here. God's love grounded in grace goes far beyond what our heart or head could even imagine. And so living with that love and grace doesn't mean that we gloss over our differences for the sake of unity. It doesn't mean that we accept harmful or abusive behaviors, but it does mean that we acknowledge all of humanity belongs to God, that God's love and presence extends to all of us and to those who we feel are deserving of God's love, but especially to those who we don't. Let us offer outrageous amounts of grace 
because we need outrageous amounts of grace offered to ourselves. Now, one of the cool, the many cool aspects of the TV show Survivor is that after these contestants have been on an island, months later, they rejoin together. And at this point, the host of the show, Jeff, Jeff Probst, announces the winner of the million dollars. Who is the sole survivor? But for viewers, the other cool part is that we get to see and hear more about moments that we have watched throughout their time on the island. And we get to see what some of the things they have gone through. And one of my favorite moments, one of the best moments of all 43 seasons of Survivor, which is a lot, <laughs> is a moment that happened between contestant Jay Starrett, who is on the right, and Adam Klein, who is on the left. In a moment of vulnerability where they came together, they shared their struggles. They put aside the game that they were in. They put aside the situation and they admitted that being on this island for this long is tough. These challenges are tough. This game is tough. And they admitted that they were breaking down. They also admitted that they weren't just playing the games for themselves, but they were playing the game for family back at home. Because both of them had mothers who were back at home who were dying. And they needed to win this million dollars for their sake, to help with medical costs. And so in this moment, they put aside their differences. They put aside the fact that they had tried to vote each other off several times and that they were basically enemies in the game. They shared in their common humanity, a, a reality that really sucked for both of them. But by doing so, by living into that vulnerability, they extended grace to each other and they created a bond that really they would never have formed otherwise. And when grace was offered, that's when healing for both of them began. And so that is the message that Jesus has for us today. It is in an outrageous amount of grace offered to us through love that we can truly understand and learn how to live in community with one another, despite our shortcomings, despite the hardships and the chaos of the world. We are to offer an outrageous amount of grace if we want to learn to live together. Please pray with me. Faithful God, we thank you for the gift of grace that you have offered us. As we seek to follow you, as we seek to live into your call for us, we know that we fall short. We know that it is hard to figure out the direction of our lives at times. But we come to you honestly. And we ask that you would give us courage and strength to make amends to those who we have hurt or who have hurt us, to set aside our pride and to lean on your love. That through grace, we may learn how to figure, how to live together. We may figure out what your call for us as individuals is and us as a community are. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. 
Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information, like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.